right. Good morning, Faith Church. Hey, welcome, everybody. My name is Steve Husky. I'm the lead pastor here. I want to welcome everybody. Hey, what an amazing weekend, right? I mean, NCAA football kicked off, right? Great weekend. Roll Tide got a win. War Eagle, they got a win. UNA, Roar Lions, they got a win. And Buckeyes got the biggest win of the day. Woo! Yeah, a big day. And then today, right? So Saturday, then today, we get to come and we get to worship the Lord. We get to honor God for his goodness and mercy and grace with our church family. Come on, let's give it up to Jesus. And then to top it all off, most of us get to stay home from work tomorrow. Yeah. Woo! So what a weekend. Hey, man, welcome. It is uh, great to have you guys here. Um, I want to welcome all of our Faith Church family and all of our first-time guests. This is your first time here. We're excited um, that you're here. We know we have a lot of family um, traveling uh, for the holiday weekend, so all of you that are tuning in and our guests, man, want to welcome all those who are watching online. Great to have you guys here. Well, listen, man, we, uh, you know, we've been doing the family thing for a long time now, and part of the family thing is the pet thing. And so we, um, you know, we, I don't know about you guys, but, you know, trying to figure out what dog is right um, I don't know about you guys, but, you know, I know a few things about dogs. I know that they have four legs, unless they've had a tragic accident. Um, I know big dogs are better than small dogs, and we know that all dogs are better than cats. Come on. Yeah. yeah. Woo. My people. Some people are like, I hate him. <laughs> so so, um, so we've had three dogs. We've gone through three dogs. I know that sounds uh, crass, and it's not. So we, we got our first kind of family dog. Um, a bunch of years ago, Sasha and uh, Sasha got parvo, and Sasha didn't make it. And so, um, so we were looking for another dog, right? And um, I don't know about you guys, but we did the whole rescue, the whole rescue dog thing, right? And we got this dog. His name was Trooper, and the reason his name was Trooper is because he was rescued by a state trooper, and he was dropped off. And so they do this thing now, man. It's uh, they, especially it's gotten bigger and bigger. They build websites and almost like a dating site. And they take pictures of these animals that need homes. And they put the saddest face on them. Like, you just see the picture and you just want to take them all home. And they have, like, little biographies, right? Some of you guys have seen these websites and, you know, went to get Trooper. And Trooper, his, you know, like his biography is, you know, Trooper, Trooper loves kids and he loves Frisbees and Trooper loves Jesus. And we're like, <laughs> you know. And then that always ended like, but we're killing Trooper by Thursday if someone doesn't take him home. No, not Trooper. You know, and so we went to, to look at this dog, and we were at this dog pound, and I'll never forget Trooper. I mean, he was just, he was kind of a puppy, just came while we were at the desk talking, and just came and sat right beside me, and so uh, hung out there, so we took Trooper home, and this is what happens. Now they call it this. They didn't when we got Trooper, but um, they, they call him a forever family, that when you, when you rescue a pet, when you rescue a dog and you take them home, that, you know, they become a part, you know, you're their forever family. And, uh, man, it's just such a racket. Anyways, <laughs> so uh, Trooper, he had a tragic end, too. We'll talk about Trooper another day. And so now we have Phineas. Actually, we have, we're actually on four dogs. We had Phineas and Ferb, but having two dogs is tough. So Ferb, Ferb got another rescue family. He got another forever family. But uh, here's the thing, man, is, you know, there's something about us when we hear about rescue dogs and rescue animals, like our heart just beats for them. Do you know why? Because all of us in this room, we love rescue stories. 
We hear the story of somebody being rescued and we celebrate. You know, when you look back at the, um, the, the coal miners who were rescued in West Virginia, right, when it happened, when they came out alive, like all of the nation like cheered because, you know, they were rescued. Just, just in July of this year, there were, was a Thai soccer team that was trapped in an underwater cave and the world held its breath if they would make it out alive and they were rescued and the world cheered. Because, man, all of us in this room, man, we love a good rescue story. In fact, you think about all of the movies that we like, most of them really have a rescue theme to them. No matter what the genre is, it can be Disney, right? Lightning McQueen, he rescues Radiator Springs and then in the process gets rescued himself. Cinderella and Snow White, they're rescued by a prince. If you, like, um, if you like the superhero genre, right, they're all rescue stories, whether it's DC or Marvel, whether they're rescuing Batman's rescuing someone from a crime or, you know, whether the Avengers are rescuing the globe, rescuing the universe from Thanos. I mean, it's all rescue. Mission Impossible, Ethan Hunt and Jack Reacher, right, it's all a rescue story. We love rescue stories because God has written that in our hearts because really the greatest story ever told is a rescue story. If you're new to church, new to spiritual things, I just want you to know that the Bible is a rescue story. And so today, as we wrap up this series, we started a few, um, a few weeks ago. I want to talk about the biggest part of this series. I want to talk about Jesus that rescues. Come on, can we just make some noise? If you've been rescued, can you give him about five seconds of praise? Today, my goal is to help you celebrate more and if you're not celebrating, to help you figure out why the rest of us are celebrating. Because this idea, again, here's the series that we have been in. We've entitled it Doctrine for Dummies. And not to talk down to anybody, but sometimes doctrine. Doctrine is biblical teaching. To try to figure out and navigate these big topics sometimes can be overwhelming and use language that we don't typically use. And so we thought since it's important that God taught us these things, that we kind of wrap it in a way that we can understand it, not so we are smarter or so we can quote more scripture, but ultimately so we can live differently. That's the goal of what we do every Sunday. The goal is to not just learn. The goal is to live different. And so what we've done is we've looked at four big pieces of theology or doctrine. And this is what we've gone through in these four weeks is God good, devil bad, man broken, and today we're going to talk about Jesus saves. Everybody shout those last two words, Jesus saves. And here's where we've been in the series, just a quick recap. Again, we learned week one that the God who's revealed himself to mankind, that he's not a God who's a far away, he's a God that's close, and he's a good God. He's not just good in his perfection and his holiness, but he's good that he wants good for us. He wants to bless our lives. He wants us to experience what real life is about as we're connected to him and live for him. Week two, we talked about that the devil is bad, that there really is this spiritual entity. There really is this thing, this person called the devil. And he's first introduced in the, in the pages early on in the Bible, in the book of Genesis, that he shows up and he reveals his nature that he's bad, that he's a tempter, he's a deceiver, he's a liar. He wants to do everything he can and still today is doing everything he can to disconnect people from the relationship with God. If he can't have it, he doesn't want you to have it. And so we find last week where we spent a few minutes, and I want to hang here today, is that man is broken. Man is broken. All we have to do is look around this world and realize that this world is fallen, that it is full of sin, sickness, disease, hatred, bitterness, rage, uh, murder, rape, envy, strife, war, on and on. And it's not just out there. If we're honest, it's in here. And we wrestle with it. 
And ultimately, the Bible paints the picture why this world is broken. It happened in what's called the fall, that Satan showed up in a perfect paradise that a good God made for a good man. And because Adam and Eve disobeyed God, broke God's commandment, that God said, listen, you can have it all, just don't eat from this tree. If you disobey me, if you break my commandment, if you eat from this one tree, you'll surely die. And Satan tempts Adam and Eve, and they disobey God. And ultimately, that's where death came into this world. Sin entered in. And what we talked about last week is it didn't just affect Adam and Eve, but all of us have been infected and affected by sin. It's in our nature. We're born into this world sinful. And that ultimately what that means is Adam and Eve, when God said, you'll surely die if you disobey me, spiritually in disobedience, they died spiritually. They lost their connection to the creator. And when you and I, when we come into this world, we come into this world spiritually dead. We come into this world disconnected. You might have life beating in your chest, but we're spiritually dead. And we see Adam and Eve, they eventually physically died. And if you physically die while you are still spiritually dead, you will live eternally dead, eternally separated from God. And so that's horrible news. So today we want to end this on a high note. We want to end this with a rescue story. I want to end this in the way that says it again one more time, that Jesus saves. Come on, everybody shout it. Jesus saves. Well, what does that mean? Like, what does it mean to say that Jesus saves? Well, let me hit a couple of things. So first of all, Jesus, to say Jesus saves, that's his name. Do you know the name Jesus means God is our salvation? In fact, when uh, he was pregnant and when Jesus was in the womb of Mary, an angel went to Joseph and, and said this. He said, hey, your, uh, your wife, man, is pregnant with a boy. And when he's born, you're to name him Jesus because he's going to save his people from their sin. His mission was in his name. Talk about salvation. I know a lot of us, we hear the term Jesus saves and we think it just means to be forgiven. And while that's powerful and profound and important that we're forgiven from our sin, to be saved is so much more than that. If all you see is the one dimension of that, you're missing a whole other thing because the word saved is multifaceted and multidimensioned, and it speaks to every area of our life. When I say Jesus saves, he doesn't just want to forgive you. He wants to change you, transform you, deliver you, heal you, and make you whole. In fact, let me give you a couple pieces Again, to be saved means to be forgiven. But it also means when you read the story, there's in the New Testament, some of you read, right, Peter? He was the brave of the bunch, one of the 12 disciples who followed Jesus. And there's a story that Jesus is walking on water, which I don't know about you, pretty cool. We've all tried to do it off the edge of the pool. You run as fast as you can. You're like, I did it, like four steps. And you didn't. You sank immediately. But Peter, he wants to walk on water like Jesus. And so he says, hey, if it's really you, Jesus, command me to come on the water. And Peter gets out of the boat and starts walking on water. And he sees the storm. He freaks out. He gets afraid. And he begins to sink into the water. And then he says this, Jesus, save me. Well, he wasn't looking to get his sins forgiven. What was he looking for? He was looking to get rescued. And what Jesus did is Jesus reached down into a certainty of death and picked Peter up and rescued him. So we get this idea that to be saved isn't just to be forgiven, it's to be rescued. Another picture we see is that when Jesus, as he walked around, he came across people who were bound up with the power of the enemy. They were demon-possessed, and Jesus delivered them, and he told them, your faith has made you whole. So to be saved means to be delivered from something. You can't set yourself free. Also, to be, to be saved, 
grave, Jesus heals all kinds of people. He heals deaf people and lame people and blind people. And when he heals them, often he says this word. He says, you've been saved. Your faith has saved you. So to be saved means to be forgiven, to be rescued, to be delivered, and to be restored or to be healed. And that's who Jesus is. Jesus saves. What does it mean for us today? Well, for a few minutes, I want to go through this, and I want to encourage you to take some notes. We're going to cover a lot of material, but hopefully, man, you'll take some things away that will change the way you live. So first of all, when we say that we're saved, we're saved, or I'm saved. If you're a Christ follower, you're saved. This is what we mean, taking notes. It means we have been saved. We have been saved. We've been saved from the penalty of sin. We've been saved in our past. It's this word justified. What it means is this, is that when Jesus died on the cross, Jesus died in our place. Jesus bore our judgment. Jesus carried the wrath of God that should have been on us. It was on him. Jesus paid our penalty in our place. Jesus took our death. Jesus carried our sin. And because of what he did on the cross of Calvary in our place, we have been saved. It's already done from the penalty of sin. Glad y'all are excited about that. That's good news. If you're not excited about that, it's all downhill from here. <laughs> Think about this, right? God told Adam and Eve, if you disobey me, there's a penalty. There's a price to pay, and it's death. And all of us were born into this world with a death decree over our life. We were born separated from God. But because Jesus came, because a Savior showed up, because a rescuer came, he reached down into death and he snatched us up and he's forgiven us of all of our sin. We have been saved. We are set free from the penalty of sin. It's this idea, this word justified. Justified, Romans 5, 9, this is what God says to people who put their trust in him. He says, much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. This word justified is like this, this legal decree that because of what Jesus did on the cross for humanity, that when you put your trust in him, what God says is he declares over you that you are, are guilt-free. It's justified, never sinned. It's justified, never sinned. Several years ago, I was new in ministry, and we had moved to this city, and um, nobody told me where the speed trap was. Come on. Everybody knows where the speed traps are. You need to share that stuff when someone moves to town. Well, someone had forgot to tell me, and so we, I was driving through this road, and there was a cop who needed to get his quota. I'm just kidding. If you're a cop, I, that's what people say who get a ticket. We blame it on you. It's us. And so I get pulled over. Here's this cop, and I hope for grace, and instead of grace, I got condemned. He writes me a ticket, and I put this ticket in my visor and forgot all about it. And so fast forward about a month later, we come into our house, and our phone's ringing on a Saturday morning, and this lady in the church is calling me. She's like the old saint of the church, and she calls. She's like, Pastor Steve, she says, I want to call and tell you something, and I'm ready like, for her to build me up and tell me how wonderful I am. And She's like, I just want to tell you that I've seen your name in the paper today. And I was like, I made the paper. I mean, like in my mind, I picture like front page, like I was helping an old lady across the street or they caught me helping the homeless. I mean, like I was like, well, what was it? I didn't. And she said, well, they have issued a bench warrant for your arrest. <laughs> for real. I'm like, I mean, I don't know about you, but that's not a good look for a pastor. Right. So. So this was a Saturday, like a Saturday morning, Saturday, early morning. 
And so immediately I went down to the local police station. It was in the, in the basement of the courthouse. And I went in and I told the police officer at the desk, I said, hey, I had a ticket and I forgot to pay the ticket and I didn't go to court. And so apparently um, you all are looking for me. <laughs> so you have a bench warrant for my arrest. I want to pay the fine so I can take care of this. And he said, well, he said, you can't do that here. You have to take care of it in court and court's closed. You've got to come back on Monday. He said, don't tell me your name or I'll have to arrest you. So he said, just turn around and leave. And so, so I, for real, like I turned around like this and I walked real casual, like, have a good day, officer. And just true. When I got out the door and turned the corner, like I took off running because I thought he might change his mind. He might have a jail quota and I don't want a jail ministry. So, but truly like all day Saturday, all day Sunday, like maybe I was strapped in, no radio, 10 and two, my mirror's right. Nobody talking, shh, like rolling stop. No, like I'd stop and do a 10 count. One, two. You know why? Because I was under condemnation because I broke the law. There was a penalty and I didn't want to go to jail. But once I paid the fine, I was no longer underneath condemnation. I could drive by an officer with a lien in one hand and say, peace, Mr. Officer. Why? Because there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. Jesus paid the fine. So not just your past sin, all of your sin has been paid for on the cross of Calvary. Jesus carried the penalty. The penalty was death that should have been ours, and he took it for us, and he gave us life. Jesus saves. It's not just that we have been saved from the penalty of sin. We are being saved in the present from the power of sin. I mean, it's, it's great that God has saved us from the penalty of sin and we're forgiven and we're going to heaven. That's awesome. But do you know that God wants you, wants your, wants your practice to line up with your position. God wants you to be living the life that he's given, which means that slowly and surely, steadily throughout our life, we should be, be becoming more like Christ. Come on. And some of you, that's your story. Like if I was to get you alone, you would tell me how, you know, pastor, I'm, I'm not who I used to be. I, you know, I used to lose my temper. I used to wrestle with this addiction. Not that any, any of us are perfect. Christians aren't perfect, but we're making progress. Because before we come to Christ, Paul makes it clear that we are underneath the power of sin. We do what we do because we're sin by nature. But Jesus, when we get saved, he gives us a new nature. Now we don't have to be overcome by sin. We can overcome sin. We are being set free from the power of sin. Has anybody here got a testimony that you may not be who you, who you want to be, but you're not who you used to be because Jesus is saving you from the power of sin? Come on, is anybody here grateful today? This is the way Paul says it. Romans chapter 12, verse 2, talking about this idea we've not just been justified, we're being sanctified, we're being changed, we're being transformed. He says it here, Romans 12, 2, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you'll learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Notice what he says here, right? Again, when you come to Jesus and he saves you from the penalty of sin, you are immediately, right? He comes and he rescues you from death. He not only wants to rescue you from death, he wants to, he wants to deliver you from things that are holding you back. He wants to deliver you from fear and anxiety. He wants to deliver you from addictions and habits. 
And so that's our life journey is we are justified. We're being sanctified. And ultimately, we will be glorified. We have been saved. We're being saved. And we will be saved in the future. We will be saved from the presence of sin. Because no matter how much you love Jesus and no matter how much you change, all of us in this world, we know this, man, that this world is still jacked up. And unfortunately, I'm part of the jacked up problem in this world because the presence of sin is still here. But there's coming a day that the paradise we lost, Jesus is going to get it back. There's going to be a time where there's no more need for armies or judges or police officers because there's going to be no more need for man trying to fight sin. God is going to wipe it all out. God is going to cleanse the entire universe. God is going to save us ultimately in the future from the presence of sin, and we will be forever sin-free. Jesus saves, right? Jesus heals. In fact, check this out, 1 John 3, 2, this idea to be glorified is like we're not just saved from the penalty of sin in our spirit, right? It's working its way out. We talked about last week, remember we talked about that sin worked in Adam and Eve from the inside out. It killed them spiritually, immediately. Eventually, they died physically. And again, if you die physically while you're dead spiritually, you'll be dead eternally, and Jesus came to work life in us from the inside out. That when you get saved immediately, you're spiritually alive, you're forgiven, and the penalty of sin is canceled over your life. And he's working the power of sin out of our life. It's changing how we think, how we behave, how we act, how we treat one another. And if your life isn't changing, you should question your salvation experience. Doesn't mean we're perfect, but we should be changing. We should be transforming. And the longer we're saved, the more we should be like Christ. But ultimately, he's going to give us a brand new body. This body's broken and struggles and is getting older. But one day, God's going to give us a brand new body. And so salvation is from the inside out. And so again, let me recap real quick. We have been saved. We are being saved and we will be saved. The question is, are you saved? Are you saved? And when you say, well, are you saved? You might say, well, pastor, like, you know, I'm trying to be a good, a good person. You're not your own savior. I'm spiritual. You're not your own savior. I'm religious. You're not your own savior. Pastor, I'm doing the best I can. The best you can is not good enough. That's why Jesus came, to rescue us, because none of us can rescue ourselves. But thankfully, Jesus showed up to rescue everybody in this room. Is anybody here grateful that Jesus saves? So let's jump in. I want to just go over a story for a few minutes because this idea of Jesus saving, of him showing up, of him forgiving us of the penalty of sin, of him delivering us from the power of sin and ultimately one day, right, healing us from the presence of sin. That's all has happened, is happening, and will happen. Jesus saves. In the Old Testament, a lot of what we read in the Old Testament, if you read your Bible, a lot of it is, even though they're true stories, even though they're historically accurate stories, they're at the same time, they're allegorical. There's a greater fulfillment in Jesus. The sacrifices in the Old Testament, they're foreshadowing the sacrifice of Jesus. And so I want to look at one of the greatest stories in my estimation in the Old Testament because it pictures so well who we are, who Jesus is, and what he accomplished by what he did. And it's a story of the nation of Israel. It was God's people, the Jewish nation, and they were in bondage. They were slaves in Egypt underneath the Pharaoh. 
And even though they didn't want to be in bondage, there's nothing they could do to set themselves free. So God sent a deliverer, Moses, to talk to Pharaoh and to bring God's people out of bondage and to ultimately not just take them out of Egypt, but to take them into the promised land. And I don't know if you're seeing it already, but it's a picture of us that we are underneath the bondage of the enemy. We're born into this world, slaves to sin, and you might want to be free, but you can't set yourself free. But we are thankful today that Jesus didn't send a Moses. He sent us, or God sent us a Jesus, and he rescued us. He delivered us out of sin, and he wants to deliver us into heaven. It's our story because it was first their story. It's a picture. And you say, well, what do we save from? Watch this, Exodus 11:4. This is Moses coming one final time to Pharaoh. He keeps coming to Pharaoh. God says, let my people go. And they just won't do it. Pharaoh refuses to respond to the will of God. And so God keeps sending judgment, trying to get his attention. He keeps resisting. He keeps pushing back. And one final time, God sends the 10th plague. And here's what he tells Moses about what's to happen. Moses had announced to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says. At midnight tonight, I will pass through the heart of Egypt and all the firstborn sons will die. You might read that and you may say, why would God do that? Because God judges sin. Because God judges sin. That's what makes the beauty of the cross so incredible is that Jesus took our judgment when he didn't have to, and he gave us his righteousness when he didn't have to. And it says, the firstborn son will die, because that's the result of sin, will die in every family in Egypt, from the oldest son of Pharaoh who sits on his throne to the oldest son of the lowliest servant girl who grinds the flour. Even the firstborn of all the livestock will die. See, Jesus came to set us free from that penalty of sin. And what I want you to notice in this story is that sin was pervasive. It affected everybody from the rich to the poor, from the highest office to the lowliest person. And it didn't just impact humanity. It even impacted livestock. Sin was everywhere, and God was going to judge it. Exodus 12, 2, the good news is he made a way out. From now on, this month, the first will be the first month of the year for you. God's saying, what I'm getting ready to do is going to be a new beginning. You're not going to be on the old calendar, in an old history, in an old framework. You're not going to think like you used to think. You're not going to act like you used to act because when God does something in your life, he makes all things new. The Bible says, man, when you come into a relationship with Jesus, he makes us a brand new creation in Christ. Come on, somebody. I'm not who I used to be because God's made me new. And so that's your story, and that's God's promise for you is that he offers a new beginning. And here's how it happens. He says, I want you to announce to the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, each family must choose a lamb or a young goat for a sacrifice, one animal for each household. He goes on, he says, if a family is too small to eat a whole animal, let him share with another family in the neighborhood, which is a picture of evangelism, right? Jesus, he tells the nation of Israel, he says, I want you to take a lamb. Ultimately, this lamb was going to be the sacrifice, you know, the first time John seen Jesus in public, even though they were cousins coming up, first time he seen him in public, he pointed at Jesus and screamed across the crowded community, behold, the Lamb of God 
slain from the foundation of the world. He's saying the Jesus you're looking at, it was always his mission to come into this world and be our lamb. The same way in the Passover, there was a lamb slain. Jesus is our Passover lamb who was slain on our behalf, who died on our behalf, who sacrificed on our behalf. Come on, I wish somebody would make some noise for Jesus. And so he says, I want you to get a lamb. And he says, if the lamb's too much, he says, I want you to make sure you share it with some neighbors. Like it's a picture of evangelism. Don't keep the lamb to yourself. Don't keep the lamb in your house. Make sure you give some coworkers some lamb. Make sure you give some neighbors and some friends some lamb. Because Jesus didn't just come for us in these four walls. Jesus came for our community, our city, our region, our nation, and our world. We need to share the lamb because the whole world needs the lamb. He goes on, he says this, watch, he gives us this picture of what the lamb needs to be like. He says, the animal you select must be one-year-old male, either a sheep or a goat with no defects. He says, it has to be a perfect sacrifice, and that's what Jesus was. Jesus was a perfect sacrifice. The Bible says he was tempted in every way just like us, yet without sin. You say, why is that important? Because a sinner can't die for sin. Only a righteous man can. And Jesus came and he lived a perfect life so he could be the perfect sacrifice. He was fully God and fully man. Fully man so he could die on our behalf, but fully God because only God could bear the weight of all of sin for all of humanity. And that's who died on the cross. That's who the lamb was in our place. But 3,500 years before Jesus came, God paints a picture to the nation of Israel and says, you're in a land of bondage and you can't get out and death is coming. But I'm going to offer something in your place to make sure you're rescued. And it's this lamb. He says this, verse 6, take special care of the chosen animal until the evening of the 14th day of the first month. Then the whole assembly of the community of Israel must slaughter their lamb or young goat at twilight. That's gross. Jesus, I'm sure he looked grotesque when he was beaten. And he was mocked and his beard was ripped out and he was beaten across his face and he was scourged on his back. He was nailed to a cross and he was speared in his side. I'm sure that was more gross test than what we're reading. But it's a picture that who Jesus was is the same thing who the lamb was to them. It was, it was this vicarious sacrifice that they didn't have to die because a lamb died in their place. He says this about the blood. Verse seven, I know we're going through a lot, but watch. They're to take some of the blood and smear it on the sides and the top of the door frames of the houses where they eat the animal. And on that night, here's what God says, on that night I'll pass through the land of Egypt and I'll strike down every firstborn son and firstborn male animal in the land of Egypt and I will execute judgment against all the gods of Egypt for I am the Lord. Watch this. But the blood on the doorpost will serve as a sign marking the houses where you are staying. And when I see the blood... I will pass over. When I see the blood, not when I see you or when I see your behavior or when I see your good deeds or when I see your mistakes, God says, when I see the blood, I'll pass over you. That's what Jesus did. When Jesus died, he bled on our behalf. And when we accept Christ, when we put our faith in Jesus, what happens is it's like metaphorically God puts the blood on us. And I know that's weird, but I don't know about you. I'll take it because judgment is, com judgment is coming. But when God sees the blood, he passes over me because I have been delivered and rescued and healed from the penalty and the presence and the power of sin. But I want you to notice something because, again, notice this, this progress, again, of being saved. We're not just, it's not just that we have been saved. We're being saved. 
We've not just been saved from something. We're being saved to something. It's not just enough to say my sins have been forgiven. God wants us to begin to live a life that honors the life that's been given for us. And so he says this, one more verse, Romans, Exodus 12, 11, in the middle of these instructions for what was known as the Passover feast. By the way, the Passover feast is what Jesus was celebrating with his disciples on the night that he was betrayed. The Passover feast, it's what we remember as a New Testament church every time we take communion, every time we drink the cup and we eat the wafer, we're reminded of the lamb that was sacrificed for us. We celebrate his blood shed for us. We celebrate his body broken for us. And so that imagery, all the way 3,500 years ago, God established the Passover for the nation of Israel. It was done in Jesus when he died on the cross, and we celebrated 2,000 years later that Jesus saves. But he says this, in the middle of these instructions to Moses and the nation of Israel of how to prepare a lamb and what to do with the blood, he says this, these are your instructions for eating this meal. Be fully dressed, wear your sandals, and carry your walking stick in your hand. Eat your meal with urgency, for this is the Lord's Passover. Like, I don't know about you guys, but sometimes when I eat, like, I got to unbuckle. I kick shoes off. He says, no, I want you to, like, get your coat on, get your kicks on. I want you to get ready. Why? Because when God sets us free from the land of sin, he doesn't expect us to hang out in the land of sin. He expects us to get out of the land of sin. You can be forgiven in Egypt, but if salvation comes in, God ought to drive us out. God forgave them in Egypt, but ultimately the goal was to get them in the promised land. So some of you in this room, man, you're like, I prayed the prayer, I put my trust in Jesus, but you're still in Egypt. You're still doing the same thing, hanging out with the same people, going to the same places, you've got the same language, you've got the same attitude, and God wants us to be delivered from the power of sin. See, God got the people of Egypt, he got them out of Egypt, but now he wanted to get Egypt out of the people. That takes a little longer. That's a lifestyle. That's a journey. But with the power of the Holy Spirit, with God in us, we can slowly and surely and steadily become like the Savior who came for us. You know, um, cell phones are a wonderful thing. I, I'm thankful for them. There's so many cool things about them. But I remember the day of the landline. Anybody here old enough to remember a landline? I got a landline. Now we never answer. I just... I've got a phone number because it was part of our package. And if someone demands a number from me, I give them that number because I'll never answer it. But the cool thing about having cell phones is, um, right, you can decide if you want to answer the phone or not. Like, oh, not answering that. That's getting voicemail. Because back in the day, some of you guys remember ha having landlines. You didn't know who it was until you answered the phone. Too late because you can't say you're not here. But the downside, right, I mean, you had to answer it to find out who it was. The upside is you could prank call people. Oh, some of you are old enough to remember prank calls. Man, I'm telling you, if you're a teenager, you missed prank calling. It was golden. We did a thing when uh, we were teenagers. We'd prank call people. And this was when Michael Jackson was at his pinnacle. 1989 uh, Thriller. Or not 1989, 1982 Thriller came out. Thriller sold 110 million copies. Like everybody was freaking out about Michael Jackson. This is when he was still black. Had his glove. I mean, everybody loved Michael Jackson. And so we had this, we had this thing going on where, um, like, we would call people and we would act like a radio personality. And we'd be like, hi, this is Bob Guy from 93FM. Would you like to play, you know, whatever. And we would tell them if they played the game, they could win backstage passes to see Michael Jackson. 
and people would lose their mind on the phone. And we just asked them like, you know, 10 random questions about Michael Jackson. You'd be shocked how much people knew, like they knew everything about Michael Jackson. And you you get them on the phone and you would have them freaking out and excited. You get all the way to the end, you let them down. It was a prank call, you didn't win no tickets. You've been suckered and hustled on the phone for 20 minutes. And my, man, I'm standing up here and I'm telling you about Jesus, a Jesus who loves you, who came for you, who died for you, so you could be safe from the penalty of sin. That you could have a relationship with your creator, never based on how good you are, never based on how good you are. God loves you as much today as he will ever love you. You can't do enough to make him love you more, and you can't do enough wrong to make him love you less. He loves you because of what his son Jesus did for you. We are saved from the penalty of sin. We are being saved from the power of sin. We will be saved from the presence of sin. And I know that seems like a big promise. And this hasn't been a 20-minute message to reel you in all to say, no, it's just a joke. Jesus is real. He died on a real, a real cross. And he shed real blood to pay a very real penalty that all of us owed so we could be free. And while he died for the whole world, the whole world is not saved because individually you have to put your trust in Jesus. 1 Paul 5, 7, this is what, uh, 1 Corinthians 5, 7, this is what Paul said. He said, Christ is our Passover lamb who's been sacrificed for us. And so all across this room, if you'll bow your heads and your hearts as we conclude this series. If you're here and you say, Pastor Steve, like whether you've given your life to Christ or not yet, you're just saying, man, I, I need rescue. There are still places in my life I need Jesus to rescue me. There's areas in my heart and choices I'm making. I still need Jesus to deliver me. Maybe you're here and you're struggling with some stuff and you're like, I need Jesus to heal me. All across this room, if, if you're here, if you're watching online and you say, I still need saved. I still need rescued. I still need Jesus to show up. If that's you all across this room, if there's a place in your life you need rescued, if there's an area in your life you need delivered, there's a situation in your life you need healed. I want you to know Jesus still does that. If that's you, I want you to lift a hand real high. Say, man, I still need Jesus to rescue me. I still need him to deliver me. 